You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Hey guys, all you wiretappers out there, this is uh, one of the series of short episodes about the Chicago outfit in 1989. I'm recording this with my friend Cam Robinson, Camulus Robinson, and Paul Whitcomb, my other friend. Both of these guys are experts on the Chicago outfit. Now, looking back at 1989, the Cubbies won first place in the National League East, but the Giants beat them in the National League playoffs, if you remember that. The Royals, since I'm from Kansas City, we finished second in the American League West, kind of on our way back downhill from our great win in the World Series in 1985. Richard J. Daly had been the mayor for a long time in Chicago, and Richard M. Daly, little Richie, became the mayor in 1989. Now you're going to notice that the sound is just a little off. I had to take the sound from a Zoom call because my recorder developed a problem during the taping, and I didn't notice it until we were about, God, I've been about an hour or so into it, and none of us wanted to go back over this again. It just, it's like catching lightning in a bottle doing a show. I felt like we'd done something really good, and it just, we, it just can't, sometimes you just can't do it again. So, but I think it's a cool show, a cool series of episodes about, Stool pigeons in 1989. Now, 1989, the Chicago outfit had a bad year, as you'll see. Everybody came in and started talking. So settle back and listen to this particular episode. I don't remember which is which. Now, don't forget to hit me up on my Venmo, buy me a shot and a beer, or help me buy a new recorder, which I'm going to do. Or hit me up on my website on the donate page using PayPal, or you can use your credit card. Now, settle back and listen to this particular episode of the year of the stool pigeon now today i have my my good friend and, and a guy who's actually been kind of a part-time co-host off and on for the show uh, cam camulus robinson and along with cam we've got his friend and another chicago outfit expert paul whitcomb welcome guys how you doing gary Thanks for having us now you guys do another show up there in chicago what's what's that show that you guys have done up there well, we have uh, a couple of different things going on. The big thing that, that Cam and I have been doing is uh, the VPod TV network, which is a new TV network. We've got a show called Inside the Chicago Outfit, which is essentially four or five of us and special guests sitting around a table talking about different things in the Chicago Outfit. We've done Sam Giancana, Tony Accardo, um, the Policy Wars, and it's it's a, a brand new TV network that's available on several of the different uh, streaming networks, right, Cam? Right. It's uh, it's available on Roku, VPOD, uh, VPOD, and comes on Friday and Saturday nights at uh, 8.30 to 9.30 uh, Central and 9.30 to 10.30 uh, Eastern Time. So it's it's really, we do a lot of research going into it. It's a lot of fun, sit around and really go do a deep dive into a lot of lot of subjects. So it's a, it's a good watch. So, guys, uh, now we've got one that I did a show on. I did a couple of shows on him. I talked to the FBI agent who brought him in and, and then dealt with him for quite a while. Ken Tokyo Joe Ito. He uh, survived a murder attempt. Uh, uh, when when that didn't happen for him, but the outfit, what happened after that? I believe his, his uh, attempted assassins got killed themselves. So tell me a little bit about Tokyo Joe Ito. 
Oh, Paul, you muted. Yeah, you're muted, Paul. Okay. All right, start again, Paul. There's a photograph I have from the, the late 50s, early 60s, and it shows Joe Ferriola and a couple of other heavyweights hanging around with a young Ken Ito. And a lot of people didn't know who Ken Ito was, but he ran the the Japanese game, uh, the, the uh, gambling, Bolita, and, and lots of money, lots of money poured into the outfit through Tokyo Joe, as they called him. And there was a rumor that perhaps Tokyo Joe was going to turn under a little bit of pressure. And so Jasper Campisi put three slugs in the back of his head. Uh, miraculously, he survived three slugs at point blank range. And if he wasn't going to turn state's evidence before, he certainly had a powerful incentive to do so now. The, the, the words he, he seems to insist, as I've heard, that he was not. His intention was not. It's hard to say at this point, but, but he says he had no intention of flipping and, and that he's not sure what the evidence was against him. And, but he was not going to flip until uh, uh, it was um, – I'm drawing a blank, Paul. Who was, who was it that sent uh, – it wasn't – it wasn't uh, the saint. It was um, Vince. Um, it was Vincent Solano. Solano. He, he, Solano. Was, he was kind of Vincent Solano. Yeah, uh, who was a union guy and a made guy up there. He he kind of had responsibility. Uh, he was a capo, and uh, which, which crew was it? Uh, do you remember? He was on the the north side. North side crew. North yeah. side crew, and and actually, Ken went to Vince Solano and had a talk with him. Said, you know what? I can do this. He, he was looking at, at a tray. I had a dude tell me once I'm pressuring him and, and trying to get him to talk. And he said, uh, he said, what am I going to get out of this? A tray? He said, man, I can do a tray standing on my head. And, and I threw right then. That's that he right. got to talk to me. So uh, and that's all he had to do. But Solano, for some reason, uh, who knows what, what was in his head because uh, Ken Ito had made him a lot of money. Yeah, a lot of money. And, and he was a tough little dude. He had uh, he had survived. He had been put in the uh, concentration camps, if you will, during the yeah, World the internment II. camps, yeah, the internment camps. And, and then came as a young man up Chicago and been around for a long time. By the time this all came down, he'd, he'd been with them for a long time and made them a lot of money and, and all kinds of different gambling operations, but particularly the Belita. So uh, it just didn't make sense. Uh, I heard one thing that, that these guys in Chicago got the idea they to keep the noise down they were loading their own rounds with mm -hmm. lighter loads of powder now, yeah i don't know they you know they had like a hit car up there the guys in chicago were pretty sophisticated or tried to be mm -hmm. and so they used these lighter loads and, and when it went into his head it just didn't penetrate the skull yeah and i remember i was at the hospital once and there's a young guy had gotten shot in the head and they said that the bullet was not a good bullet because it went in under his skin and then went under his scalp, along his skull, and then lodged up on his forehead. Yeah. Wow. And, and so, you know, it was kind of the same way. Those bullets were probably lodged up underneath his scalp. He, he pulled himself to a neighboring, uh, I believe it was a uh, pharmacy that was right there, a corner store. And then that guy went to help him. Back. <laughs> I think he had to dial a uh, call of 911 or whatever they were. 911 was in place then. He had to call for help for himself from a, a uh, phone booth. You know, he you look, saved his own life by being smart and playing dead. Yeah, that's right. And you look at it, you look at Chicago. That's that is a city that it's a city of neighborhoods, and, and you've got you've got the the 
the Mexican town and you've got the, 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 the different, uh, the different towns and, and you've got Chinatown where there's, there, there's so much money and so much gambling. And while Canada was Japanese and there is a, there's obviously division between Japanese and Chinese, it would be much easier for, for him to go in and then some of these outfit guys. And because of, you know, different, different, different things going on back in the fifties, sixties and seventies, he would he could go into neighborhoods and represent the the outfit in ways in different communities that the outfit wouldn't wouldn't go into or a lot of these made guys that gave him entry into a lot of communities and in the asian community there's a there's a lot of gambling that he was able to tap into he was smart enough to see that as a route that that maybe the the italian guys didn't just like just like uh lenny patrick who we've talked about in other episodes uh had that access into the Jewish, into the Jewish uh, communities and, and other Jewish gangsters, a lot of gambling there. If you can get somebody who has an in to different communities, uh, that's, that's really a way to go. And that's part of why he made so much money. A game like Belita wouldn't normally be, be, uh, and that's huge in the, uh, the Hispanic communities and huge with uh, Asians also. Yeah, you know, in Kansas City, that's interesting that you should point that out, Cam. We had a uh, large Vietnamese community moved in after the, the boat people is when it started. And they moved in through the same church, uh, Sacred Heart Church and the Don Bosco Center that the Italians moved in, the Sicilians moved into back in the turn of the century, in the same neighborhoods. And, and Italians are getting successful and they're moving out the suburbs and the Vietnamese are moving in and creating the Vietnamese restaurants and Vietnamese shops. And, and they brought, they have a love for gambling. Like you said, they have a huge love for gambling. They don't drink so much or do so many drugs, but they do love to gamble. It seemed to me like, and so they had their own bookie. It was called the King. Mm-hmm. So a guy, a friend of mine told me a story. Uh, there's a mob bookie kind of on the periphery of that neighborhood's got a, a joint and he, he was running a sports book and he had a lot of action going in and out of his joint. So this one Vietnamese guy had a big debt he owed to the king. So he goes down and talks to this guy's name was Larry Strata. He ends up getting killed by uh, some other uh, mobsters in a deal. They thought he was going to testify, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, this young, or young, his middle-aged Vietnamese guy goes down to the caddy shack, Larry Strata's bar, and he starts telling him about the king. He said, man, he said, the king, you take all your business. He said, he, he got all business down here. He take all your business. He said, you know, you need to you need to do something about King. He said, you know, we close to the river here. And then he made a motion across his throat like he was cutting his throat. So he, he was trying to get out his gambling debt to convince this uh, uh, Italian uh, Cosa Nostra bookie to go back and kill the uh, kingpin of the Vietnamese. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you know, uh, I've heard a lot of stories and, and some of them are true, some are not. That one had to ring a truth to it. It had a definite ring of truth that that guy Play would do that. Playing them against each other. Yeah. And, and, you know, another thing about Tokyo Joe is, you know, he could testify. Ben Solano had Campese and Gattuso killed right away. Found them in their trunk of their cars, I think. Uh, maybe at the airport, even. Uh, Chicago trunk music, but they have some saying like that. And so, they, you know, his, Solano knew that they could testify against him, and they didn't want to go down for attempted murder. Uh, more than likely, and he just didn't take a chance, so he had them killed. And I can't remember if he went down behind this or not, 
But another thing Tokyo Joe was able to do, I mean, he certainly could expose all the inner workings of what he knew about to the FBI, which gives you a lot of tips on where to go, who to work on, and maybe where to throw up some microphones or some wiretaps. But he also traveled around. He came to Kansas City during the uh, skimming trial because they're working on the Chicago hierarchy. So they just fly him into town. They show him, they show him that picture, the Last Supper picture where everybody's in the picture. And they yeah. say, now, who's that? Oh, that's Ayupa. Okay, then who's that? Oh, that's uh, Vince Solano. Yeah, he reports to Ayupa. You know, uh, who's that guy? That's, I can't remember the other people. And also the nature's living. Joy Lombardo. Yeah, he reports to this guy. So to, to show the organization of the mob in Chicago and that it is an organization that gives orders to have other people carry it to make the RICO case, that he was a storyteller for that. And he didn't know anything about the skim at all. But but he was a storyteller on setting this, put, getting the, the mob name and the organization in front of a jury. That's huge, as you know, Paul. Mm, absolutely. We had a similar arrangement during the Carlisi trial about how the Carlisi crew operated and who was who and to tell the story. Yeah. You have to make it a story. Well, thanks, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, look for the next episode in the Year of the Snitch coming soon. Don't forget to hit me up on your Venmo app at Gangland Wire or go to my donate page. Need all the help we can get. And as you know, I always have a little blurb supporting the Veterans Administration and their PTSD work because it's a, it's a huge problem. There's a lot of cops with PTSD. I probably got some myself. I uh, probably could use this myself, a little PTSD help. Uh, you know, there's one more thing about that. Here in Kansas City, I was at a company, uh, actually, they worked on my computer down here at 304 Armor Road in North Kansas City, and this is for you Kansas City people. There's a virtual reality company called OmniLife, and they ha- they fix computers. They have a virtual reality games, which are really scary. They put me in one and asked me to walk up plank and walk out and look straight down from a, like a 50-story building. I couldn't do it. It's, it's so real, it's unbelievable. But the last thing that I want to tell you is they have PTSD therapy for military vets. They use virtual reality. It would like put a vet in a convoy and then have a IED blow up right in front of them and have them walk them back through their experiences that they had in, in uh, the Middle East or probably go all the way back to Vietnam now. Some of us are still around. And they have a doctor on staff whenever you do this. I don't know if they have a connection with the VA or not, but the guy was telling me about it. It sounded pretty interesting. So uh, I just wanted to give them a little plug for you Kansas City listeners. And uh, you may not have PTSD, but if you ever wanted to try something that was fun and, and exciting without taking any real physical risk, go up there to 304 Armor Road and check out the virtual reality games. Thanks, folks. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey.